This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. This time on the Out of Water Podcast, we're continuing our discussion in, about spiritual disciplines, which we started with an overview in our last episode. And this week, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. So getting back to just even what a discipline is, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are the things that we are practicing, we're training for. We talked about last time the, the Greek word that actually means discipline, gymnazo, is where we get the word gymnasium. So it's like the same idea of going to the gym to get your body ready to experience some physical exertion or sport. It's the same idea spiritually. And so you are preparing, you're preparing yourself for life that's going to come at you. And what we often do, which is a mistake, is we wait for the crisis to come. We wait for some monumental life event to happen that shakes us to our very core to run and seek God. And what we should be doing, and what the Bible calls on us to do, is to train up in those disciplines that fill us up spiritually uh, with things. I remember being with my wife, Laura. We went to a, a marriage seminar that was led by Paul Tripp, and he gave this illustration that I thought was helpful. He takes this this water bottle that's like a Zephyr Hills bottle or something like that, and he opens the lid and then he you know shakes it and squeezes it and water goes all over the floor and you're kind of like what in the world's he doing? And then he looks at the audience and he says, "What just happened? Water came out. Why did water come out?" And you want to say, "Well, because you shook the bottle or you squeezed it." And he says, "No, water came out of the bottle because water was in the bottle." And so that's the idea with spiritual disciplines. When life shakes you, when life squeezes you, what's inside of you is what's going to come out of you. And so if you're filled with insecurities, you're filled with all kinds of deficiencies, when you're shaken or squeezed, that's what's going to come out with an even greater degree. And so what we're doing with spiritual discipline is we're filling ourselves with the truth of God's word. We're filling ourselves with his mercy, with his patience, with hope. So that when the day comes, when we're having a hard season, that's what's going to come out of us. And so prayer is one of the chief, chief ways in which we can do that. Yeah, I did like that last time when we were talking about uh, sort of the overview of spiritual disciplines. And we made the point that people um, begin to practice these things frantically when a crisis comes. Right. And we talked about how in some people's mind, it's almost like spiritual coin, like making a de- they're deal-making with God. They're frantically praying, frantically flipping through their Bible, looking for comfort verses because they're in the midst of a crisis. And, and we made the point, and I think it's a great point, is that if that's your moment of beginning the practice of spiritual disciplines, you're not going to find any comfort in them. They're not going to be of any particular use to them. And God doesn't make deals like that anyway. Right. That's not how it works. So uh, I, if you did, if you missed our, our overview on spiritual disciplines, I encourage you to go back and, and check out this episode 19. Uh, go back and pick that up in the podcast and, and listen to that one. Yeah. And one of the things that I would say to that, if it takes crisis, like it did for me, the first time that I started to seek after the Lord, it was it was crisis. It was sure. an emotional crisis to me. And if that's what if that's what it took to drive me to the word or prayer, like use it. But if you are a Christian and you're seeking to grow in the Lord and in, in all the grace that He gives, that happens by way of exercising what right. His Word tells us to do. Right. So we talked about last time. One of the I just like this picture. Uh, but the Zacchaeus principle. Mm-hmm. And in the Zacchaeus principle, Zacchaeus can't get to Jesus because he's he's too small, he's too short, the crowd is too big. And so he goes ahead of Jesus, climbs a tree so that Jesus will be able to see him. And the idea behind that, and I stole that from Donald Whitney who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, but what he says is Zacchaeus put himself where he knew the Lord would show up. And so spiritual disciplines are putting yourself where you know the Lord shows up. And so that's reading his word, it's prayer, it's yeah. fasting, it's it's community, it's it's all those sorts of things where you know God moves. I don't remember whether it was one of you that said it last time or if I read it somewhere, but it, so if one of you said it, take credit for it. But I, <laughs> I, 
there was a, there was a, a one person that commented on the idea of Zacchaeus in the tree by saying, well, and in addition to that, the Lord caused a sycamore tree to grow where Zacchaeus would need it to be. Right, it's like yeah. going back even further. Zacchaeus mm-hmm. went to where he knew Jesus would be, and the Lord caused a tree to grow where Zacchaeus was going to be. So these things, you know, kind of go back. Was that one of you guys? That uh, was not no, me. No, but that's right. good. Like it's that. good. So that's, I, so I read it somewhere online. Sure, we'll it, steal it. Was it. it was me. It was me. It was you, Sam. We'll I steal thought it, it was we'll me. Say, I don't we'll know. It was our idea. So, yes. But that, I thought that was clever, too, that it goes back even further than that. Yeah. And we tend to have a reductionistic view of what prayer is. You know, when, when we come in prayer, we think, uh, okay, I, I need to come with petitions and things to ask God for. And we forget the simplest definition of what prayer is, is, is it's, it's conversation. Okay. It's conversation with God. It's how you enter into relationship with him. And, I, you know, one of, the, one of the big preachers, and I can't remember who it is offhand, uh, but he wrote and he said, the reason why people have a hard time praying for five minutes is because we don't know five minutes worth of God. Hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of a convicting thing. <laughs> very. Sorry, it just made me feel worse. How about you, Drew? <laughs> yeah, very convicting. <laughs> but it's really true. Like, it's very awkward. And one of the illustrations that I use when I've, when I've talked about prayer is if you get inside of an elevator and the person next to you just starts talking to you or or you feel pressured to start a conversation with somebody that you just met that conversation inevitably is going to be really awkward you don't know anything about the person you don't know what their passions are you don't know what they delight in you don't know what they disdain you don't know all those things and so when you start talking to them they're going to feel really awkward like when you go in the elevator when you don't know someone etiquette is don't talk to them it's it's bizarre when a stranger starts talking to you don't look at them <laughs> yeah you don't look, look at them at your look feet. at your shoes look right at your feet look at the the numbers lighting up on the panel don't look at the people yeah. and and so prayer is this privilege that we get to talk to the god of the universe right but if we don't know him mm-hmm. if we don't have a relationship with him if we haven't read about him and seen what he loves and seen what he hates and seen how deep and passionate he is for the mission that he's called us to, when we start talking with him, it's going to feel like we're talking to a stranger. And so part of it is you need to have the grace for yourself to recognize that you're starting a relationship. Yeah. Have patience with it. You know, but it doesn't mean if you're trying to build a relationship, it doesn't mean, well, we don't have anything to talk about, so I shouldn't ever talk. No, you, everybody has to begin somewhere. And so just grab hold and start this relationship. Start praying to God. And one of the, one of the beautiful things about this, and, I, and this, if you take nothing else away from anything I say today, is when we think of prayer, we're instinctively thinking, okay, when I pray, I want peace. I want joy. I'm going to lift up people that are hurting. I'm, but we forget one of the most amazing, beautiful privileges that we have in prayer is God delights in hearing our prayers. Mm -hmm. He delights in hearing our prayers. And so when you turn your focus to him and you give him your affection, you're tugging on the heartstrings of God. Now, whether you come as a simple prayer or somebody who can offer up all these elaborate prayers, when you offer your devotion, your focus to God, he enjoys it. That's that's really important. You know, it's interesting. Last night, we had a spiritual formation class here, and it was on the subject of Bible study. So we're, we'll get to that. We're not talking about that today. But one of the passages that we were we had everybody considering was a passage in Isaiah 6, where in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and Isaiah is describing his vision of the temple. And one person, in the, I, think it was, I think it was Wendy, it was great input because she said, the temple was filled with smoke. And she said, our, our prayers rise like our prayers were filling the temple. That's right. Mm. And I thought that was such a great picture. It's really true. Yeah, cool. if, you, if you have that background as in Catholicism, I was raised Catholic, and so often the priest would come down with the censer waving it on a chain. Okay, and no, that's not like he stops you from saying things. It's a different thing. Right, a different kind of censor, right? Kind of censor. I was like, where in the world are you going with that? I, I was not raised Catholic. A censor is a what? It's a smoke, uh, yeah, it's a little pot smoke pot. But okay. anyway, it burns incense. And okay. Incense goes up, and I used to think of when I was growing up, what in the world is he doing? Okay, and it was kind of fragrant. But the idea is the smoke is rising up. It's symbolic. I mean, they don't really believe that that's prayers, but it's symbolic of prayers. That's why inside the temple you had the altar of incense. And if you know the, the nativity story with Jesus, it's Zechariah, who's Jesus' uncle, who's in the temple at the beginning of Luke's gospel, and he is going to the altar of incense, and he is praying when he's confronted by the angel Gabriel. And so that incense going up symbolized prayer, and so it drew their minds to what's above, That's to God. That's cool. Yeah, it's 
That's very cool. So if you guys are local, you want to come to Sam's spiritual formation class because good things happen there. Yeah. Just just a little plug for the class. Yeah, it's a good group. It's Wednesday, a good group. 630, Ingram Theater here at Rio Vista Church in Fort Lauderdale. So show up. Okay. And one of the, one of the things that when I think about that, you know, when the Lord calls us his, his sons and daughters, and if we really believed that, man, I— I'll give you an example of this. I put my daughter, uh, my five-year-old daughter, on a plane with her uncle, and it was her first time ever getting on a plane. So she was nervous. She didn't know what it was going to be like. She was going somewhere without mom and dad for the first time in her life for a long period of time. And it was insane. I told Graham, who's her uncle, I said, you know, send me pictures. I want to, can you video what she's doing during the takeoff? I want to know how she's doing. I want to know how she responds. I want to know like everything about how she's done this. Cause I'm kind of bummed that I'm missing out on my little girl's first experience. And when she, when she gets there, I want to know that she's okay. And I'm, and I'm not a hover parent, but I want to know her experience. I want to know that she's enjoying it. I want to know that she's enjoying her cousin. Mm-hmm. Send me pictures. And it dawned on me like that, that feeling that I had as a father of wanting to hear my daughter's voice of wanting to, to see her excitement and to know what she's going through. Like if God has an infinite pool of concern and love for us, how much more does he long to hear our voice yeah. to come mm-hmm. to him? Before we turn the mics on and started recording, um, I was talking about one of my uh, sometimes stumbling blocks in prayer and, and the, with taking the time to pray is that I look at all communication as being basically an exchange of information that I'm going to, I'm learning something about you or about whatever it is you're talking about, or I'm telling you something about a topic or I'm telling you something about myself, but there's information being exchanged when we communicate. So if, if prayer is talking to God, then I'm like, Oh, but God already knows everything. And I was thinking about that in the terms of your illustration there where you, you wanted to know how Leah was doing on this trip, but that's because you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You had infinite concern, and God has infinite concern, but you had limited knowledge, and God doesn't have limited knowledge. So mm-hmm. for the people out there like myself who thinks who, sometimes your stumbling block is, why am I telling God? How do I, why does God want me to tell him stuff he already knows? What, what's the answer to that? Why does God want me to tell him things he already knows? I think I think you're coming at this as as like the stereotypical Presbyterian. We're all Unf- about our heads, right? Unfortunately, I am. Yeah. Yes, because that's I I plead guilty. I am a stereo. I fit well in the Presbyterian faith. Yeah. Let's just say. So so you saying that now? If if let's say your daughter is away at college or right now, you know whatever the case might be, right. your your daughter's away. She is. Somebody you know gave you information that told you everything that she was doing. You knew you knew everything that she was up to, how she was yes. how she was operating. It I is nowhere near the same as <laughs> hearing your daughter's voice say, "Hey, Dad, guess what happened today?" Yeah, I would still I would still call her and say, "So how'd it go today?" Even though I knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Lord yeah. the Lord knows all things. I hate it when He does this to me. Yeah, good, <laughs> that was good, Sam. That was good. So, I hate it when He does this. To so me. the Lord knows all things. He's not surprised by anything. He's sovereign over all things, which makes prayer even more comfortable and and comforting. But just like everything else, the Lord is not interested in your works. He's not interested in. He wants your heart. Yeah. That's what thrills him. You know, there's this allegory in the Bible that's really beautiful in the Song of Songs where it's it's the, actually the story of a romance, but it's a picture of God and us, his bride. And there's one line where the husband, which would be Jesus in this case, says this. Now, just listen to this. It's It's stunning. He says, you have ravished my heart, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my spouse? How much better then wine is your love. And so the literal Hebrew behind that is, you have made my heart beat faster and faster with a single glance of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And if you study that book, it becomes evident that this is talking about God and his people. And it's saying, with one glance, you make my heart beat faster and faster. This, Our God, who holds an infinite wellspring of love so you divide that with seven billion or six billion people on the planet you still get the infinite portion of god's love because infinity divided by six and a half billion is still still infinity infinity, yeah so you've got the infinite focus of god and all of that love 
that's focused on you, and when you reciprocate it, it thrills his heart. That's wild to believe, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of weird to believe that. Mm-hmm. But the scripture absolutely makes that claim. That's, a, that's, that's good. That's, yeah. and, and we have that power. So why, if we look at God as being all worthy and all good, and we have that power to tug on his heartstrings and give him delight, why would we not? Why would we not? Mm-hmm. It's not just about you know, supplication and saying, hey, God, I need some stuff. You, one of the greater parts of prayer is his delight, not yeah. just yours. It kind of speaks to, to like just the truth that God is relational and like you're saying, he longs to know our hearts and to know us and to be in intimate relationship with us where I think, because like you, Mark, like I've had that thought before and I think that it almost having to wrestle through that forces me to reckon and deal with maybe some of the lies that I believe about the, my own relationship with God and that the ways that I can tend to steal some of that relational intimacy by not realizing the truth that he wants me to Mm. be in communication with him and that, yeah, he knows everything and he still wants me to come to him and he still wants me to pour out my heart to him. Like that just makes him more beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it is, it's like, it forces me to kind of wrestle with, do I believe that? Like, do I really believe that he wants to know me and he wants to hear my heart or do I just think, well, he knows it, so he must not still care. And also, we have to reckon with the fact that we tend to, or at least I tend to, think of myself as being a little annoying. <laughs> you know, it's like, I do. I tend, I tend to think of myself as being a little annoying. You know, I, some of that is my theological background. You know, I came from a doctrinal background, a system of doctrine and teaching in which it was taught that it wasn't God choosing us and calling us, but it was us having the good sense I'm doing air quotes because that was what they said. Have the good sense to put your faith in Christ. Well, we know that humans don't have good sense apart from God calling them and drawing them and so forth. That's what the Bible says. Um, Happy to have that argument with my Baptist friends anytime. But that was kind of the tradition that I came from. And I thought of myself as being that guy that kind of snuck into the kingdom of God. Like I even used to make a joke about it, how... When the person who shared the gospel with me was doing that, that God was seated on his throne in heaven, slapping himself on the forehead, saying, not him, no. And But you see, that was part of my bad thinking that caused problems for me for years. I kept thinking, you know, God doesn't want me. You know, I, I snuck in. I got in. He's going to make me. All right, fine. I, I get to, I, you know. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm the one he makes go to the back of the bus. I'm the guy that he doesn't want involved because I'm not a good person and I never do the right thing. God's so disappointed in me, that kind of thing. And one of the things about Reformed theology and understanding how long God has had his affections set on us and his mind set on us and how many plans he's made for us from before even he created the world has it was so revolutionary to me because it began to instill in me a sense that God wanted me that I was worth something to God that for whatever reason I can't understand it but God saw something good in me you know that he was going to that he was going to use he created these things that he wants me to do yeah and you know, and sometimes I still forget that though, because yeah. I see myself as being an annoyance to God. And you know, that's what Drew was just talking about is so helpful to me to keep that in mind that, you know, I really I'm not annoying God when I talk to him. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like, oh great, shut up, Mark. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think one of the reasons why we don't we feel like we're annoying God is that we totally misunderstand his heart. And if you if you go to the the Gospel of Luke in chapter eighteen, he tells two parables and then, then he gives a, a actual live demonstration that teaches us a lot. So the first parable goes something like this. There's this, a wicked judge, and the wicked judge wants no part of justice, but this widow that's been wronged keeps annoying him, going to him, saying, I demand justice, I demand justice, I demand justice. And eventually he's like, oh, okay, just so you'll shut up. I will give you justice. <laughs> And so some people will think that that's how God views them, that you're just annoying me with your request, right? But Jesus is saying, no, God, that's an unrighteous judge who will give you. How much more will God honor your persistence? And then he tells another. It doesn't even say it will be quick. Like he's, yeah. he, he wants to honor it quickly. Yeah, you know, just like, let's, get it, let's get it over. Yeah. Let's get it on. And then the next parable that he tells is uh, the story where you have the, the Pharisee who's out and he's publicly showing how wonderful he is, giving generosity and giving 
giving money and mm-hmm. his his tithe and making it public. Look at me and look how wonderful I am. And there's a, a publican or a tax collector who's like, oh, I'm such a, a wretched man. You know, I'm so unworthy to be in God's presence. And he says, which one of these two do you think went away justified? Which one of these two do you believe is is honored by God? And the answer is the humble one, yes, yeah. not the one who's boasting of how great he is, right. but the one who senses his need for mercy. Well, he takes those two parables, and the next thing in the story, it's, it's not a left turn, but the disciples are sitting around, and kids are trying to get to Jesus, which I've always loved that, because kids are great detectors of people's personalities, right? Sure. They want to be near him, which meant he's a warm, fun, wonderful guy. Kids want to be with Jesus. And the disciples are saying, oh, he's busy, you know, should, should, we, should we shoo them away? And Jesus intervenes and says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And how this ties those two parables together is pretty interesting. Can you think of anybody more persistent than a little kid that wants something? <laughs> if you have children, you know that they don't just ask once and take an answer, right? No, they don't. They, mom, mom, yeah. mom, dad, dad, dad. They are so persistent, and yet you don't shoo them away. They're your children. Yeah. You, you know, even if their request is foolish and you have to say no, you love them in the midst of it. And he's like, so see me in that way. And the same thing comes with that, that notion of humility. You know, a little kid totally recognizes his absolute and total dependence upon their parents. They, they don't question it. It's, I, I need to eat, mom, dad. You know, hmm. they totally get this utter dependence. So there's a dependency, but a relentless dependency that comes. And Jesus is saying, pray like that. Pray like children. And that hmm. one of the great illustrations of this that I love is if, you're na- if I came to your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, Mark, and I said, hey, I need a glass of water. I don't feel good. You're going to look at me like, all right, somebody call Laura. Sam's off the wagon, you know. (laughs) He's a mess. But if my son walks into my room at 3 a.m., there's no boundaries, right? Right. My son runs around in my office or, you know, one of my favorite pictures of JFK with John F. Kennedy Jr. under the desk. Yeah, the resolution, sure. Yeah, the only person in the world (laughs) that could climb under JFK's desk is a son, the only one that could, anyone else, you'd be like, you can't do that to the president. A son can. A daughter can. Yeah. And so hmm. that's the invitation that God gives us. Don't see me as something so much greater than the president that's transcendent, though all of that is true. You're my son. You're my daughter. Hmm. You are welcomed into the throne room, and you can come boldly because you're my son or daughter. And that's how we need to see him. He is intimate. He's close. He's near. He's dear. He's not this faraway objective judge who gets annoyed when we say, excuse me, God. No, it's yeah. it's father, dad, mm-hmm. papa. You know, that's the intimacy that we have with him. So whether, you, so whether you're like overly intellectual like me or you have a bad self-image like me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the answer to both of those is to really recognize this relationship you have with God where you're his son or daughter and and how much he actually wants to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, he he delights in it. And in yeah. fact, when you when you get into the nuts and bolts of what God expects of us, he is you know, he doesn't he doesn't leave it too much doubt into how often he wants us to pray to him. In fact, the, the commands as to how often we are to pray to him is, is a bit overwhelming. So I just I'm going to give you a few scriptures and hear what they all have in common. And Romans twelve twelve, we're told, be constant in prayer. I'm not doing so good at that. <laughs> and First Corinthians seven five, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. And Ephesians six eighteen, it says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And Philippians four six, it says, in everything by prayer, let your requests be made known to God. And Colossians 4, 2, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, we're told you are to, to pray without ceasing. How in the world do you do that? I was about to say, okay, so, <laughs> so we don't do that. We got to shut down the podcast. Sorry, we're going to pray right now. <laughs> we're going like, to pray right now. Yeah, but so that, that gives us a hint. If you're to pray without ceasing, then it, it tells you that prayer is not merely shutting everything down and mentally having a conversation with God, okay. right? 
And that's that's the way we view prayer. That's the common way of seeing prayer. That's that's the normal way of seeing prayer. But what the Bible is getting at is that prayer is not just, hey, God, I need this stuff, and hey, God, I'm in conversation with you, but it's an acknowledgement that even as you go throughout the day, his presence with you, you know it. You you feel comforted by the fact that he walks with you, that he abides in you, that he's with you all the time. Mm. And so the, the illustration that I love there is Laura and I, my wife, every night we go on walks. And sometimes there's a ton to talk about. And the whole walk, you know, 30 minutes later, there hasn't been a moment of silence for 30 minutes. And we have shared with one another our days and what we're struggling with and everything else. And we're talking the whole time. But there are also nights where we'll go a block or two and we haven't said a word to one another. And yet that's communicating a ton when we're walking right by one another, comforted by one another's presence, enjoying one another's company without ever saying a word. And that I think is, is one of the disciplines that we need to get better at is just realizing God abides in us. He's with us all the time and we need to take comfort in knowing that that is true. That is prayer. We are communicating with him by being comforted that he's with us. Mm. That's interesting because you think about prayer as being, again, an exchange of information. That's what most people, that's how most people regard it. It's like, I'm going to talk to God now, so let me stop yeah. and talk to God now. And that's one of the other things that uh, I mentioned before we started recording uh, when I was apparently confessing to everybody my problems with prayer. But one of them is that I, I, I sort of look at, prayer is being not doing anything. In other words, if, if something happens, something needs to be done, there's a problem that comes up or whatever, I want to go and do something about it. I'm very much like, okay, let's go and, and do something. Let's lay our hands on it and, and fix this or do this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this idea that prayer, I'm going to, I'm like, I, 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 I got to get busy, God. I don't have time to stop and talk. But what you're talking about there, that understanding of prayer is that, yeah, there's times when we stop and we quiet ourselves in prayer, but there's also a sense in which we pray as we go, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we go in prayer doing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and that idea of doing something, you know, prayer, when we think of prayer, we think, okay, I'm asking God to accomplish something for me. Right. But one of the things, and I, you know, I'm a, I love studies and I'm a science nerd, but some of the things that they have found with Colum- Columbia University did a study that found that regular prayer actually thickens a part of your brain's cortex. You're saying my brain is thick? No, I'm saying if you're not praying, it's thin. Oh, <laughs> it needs to be thick. Okay. Just you know, in my prayer life, it might be the only thing that is thin, but, sorry, <laughs> bad, bad, once, once bad again, humor. Once again, self-deprecating humor. It's the way we go. <laughs> but anyway, and that, that part of the brain, when it's thickened, it guards against depression. They found that those who pray regularly in a study by Duke University has 40% reduced blood pressure, like you're 40% less likely to have high blood pressure. The, there, there are studies that have been done, and while they studies are mixed on whether intercessory prayer, like praying for people to be healed, there are studies on both sides that say, yes, they're effective, no, they're not. But in virtually all scientific studies, prayer it's shown that prayer changes your body. It makes you less anxious. It changes your the cortex in your brain. It brings down... Um, your anxiety levels. Right. It's been fun to listen to all of your thoughts on prayer and these things that you're sharing, because truthfully prayer is probably the spiritual discipline that is most difficult for me because I am one of the most scatterbrained. I think Mm -hmm. literally I feel like my mind is like a spider web and I think all the time and I think through every possible thought situation, everything. But for me, because of that, I tend to I tend to think a lot and I don't pray a lot. So I find mm. myself just like sitting in my brain and working stuff through. And then I'll stop and I'll have this thought of like I have not I could actually just pray. I could actually <laughs> talk with God about these things instead of just talking with myself about them and heaping up anxiety and working stuff through. But that's really hard for me to do. Like it it's daily, honestly throughout the day a struggle for me. And so I I notice that my, even my own thinking can be a barrier to my prayer life because I just get stuck there sometimes but also I'm extremely distracted. Mm. So I also struggle to pray because 
I will sit down. Like a squirrel. Exactly. Like I, I often, like you said, I can think of prayer as stop and pray, which it definitely can be. Like there are moments where for the sake of disciplining myself, I quite literally make myself stop and pray. And as a distracted person, it does actually really help me to even force myself to sit or put my hands out or just, Mm -hmm. it kind of keeps me present in the moment. But also I think that it's important. Something that I, I struggle with in prayer is realizing that like, um, even, even when I'm not stopped and like, uh, I'm not sitting down, it's not like a set aside time where I woke up and there's 10 minutes to pray in the morning. Something I struggle with is that praying throughout the day. Well, I agree with you about the distractedness thing. That's, that's like the, that's like a big, yeah. that's a tough one for me. I don't do well with my own thoughts. Yeah. You know, if it's yeah. like, if I'm not, there if are it, some people who think to talk and there's other people who talk to think. I'm a talk to thinker, but one of the reasons why I talk to think is that when I'm talking to work out what it is I think, hmm. I'm not as distractible. But mm-hmm. if you say, sit down, Mark, think about what you're going to say before you talk. I'd be like, potato, <laughs> potato, potato, squirrel, <laughs> potato, potato. Is that a Chevy? Potato, potato. <laughs> I like that. Thing. Potato. What do I yeah. want for dinner? Potato. potato. That, that's how my mind is. I'm, everything is pounding in from all these different directions. And if I'm not talking, talking forces me to think about what I'm saying. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Same. And so it's a way of, it's a way of pulling it down. And is there anything that we can do? I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you do with that about the distracted things? Is there something you found that helps you with that? Well, it does help me to have times where I do like literally remove myself and I go onto my patio. That's like a really calming spot for me to kind of so get someplace different, change your location, change my location. Okay. Yeah. Like I move or I remove myself. I also journal my prayers a lot. That mm-hmm. helps me a pen in hand. I focus more clearly that way. I also pray out loud. I pray out loud in the car. Um, on walks, those things help me because I also am an external processor. So mm-hmm. whether it's writing or whether it's speaking, those things help me just hear and really connect with what I'm saying where when it's in my mind, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. But also at the same time, I think that with myself and how distracted I am, I have to struggle with some of my pride that I realize because I think I can value so much my own thinking at times Mm -hmm. that I can think stuff through so much that it's, it's arrogant because I don't take the time to humbly recognize that God has so much greater and infinite wisdom to provide for me. And so prayer is something, honestly, this summer I, I feel like is one of the first seasons in a long time that I've experienced, especially within the last like four weeks, I'd say like just prayer becoming more fluid and natural. And Mm -hmm. it's been really cool. It's been very new. I feel like I've um, been trying to practice that more and I've noticed myself praying throughout the day and I'll catch myself praying and it is, it's becoming more seamless. And that's been really, honestly, that's been really sweet for me because normally it had to be very, um, form like I would sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to pray. Um, so I think to see it becoming more organic and relational and just for me, it's a, it's a victory. I'm thankful like to see God helping me by mm. his grace, like take my thoughts and transition them into conversation with him instead of just with myself. Mm. What, what do you think about using um, things like the book of common prayer and other, uh, you know, lectionaries or liturgical help to, to read through the prayers of the day and stuff like that. I know some people are kind of down on that. They're like, Oh, if it's not coming from you, if it's not spontaneous from you, then it's not really a prayer. But I have found at times that, that reading, reading prayers from the book of common prayer, for example, Mm -hmm. which I think is a a really cool. These are these people, you know, hundreds of years ago, these amazing saints of God putting this all down on paper. uh, These are so well crafted and so well thought out. And to me, I find a value of reading through that and even reading that to God as a, you know, as part of the prayer process, because it helps me to focus on, on to think about what that is saying. How do you feel about that? I think, I think it's, I think the scripture actually affirms that it gives us, you know, the book of the biggest book of the Bible is the book of the Psalms, right? Which are all prayers, which are all prayers. Songs. So, so yeah, I mean, they're songs, but we can pray them. So when you, if you don't know what you're supposed what to pray, you know, 
the Valley of Vision, the collection of prayers by the Puritans. Just pick it up and read it. I mean, they're all things that we should be able to affirm in each and every one of our prayers. It's an acknowledgement of our brokenness, of our need of God, of his mercy, of his beauty. It's affirming how glorious he is. And what you find is that when you're stale and you put these resources in front of you, because, you know, we talk about prayer, but everybody at this table stinks at it, you yeah. know? <laughs> and and there's times where we just don't want to do it. There's times where Laura says, can we pray? And everything in me goes, ugh, I don't want to. I, there's nothing in me right now that wants to pray. And so when I start out of those blocks, you know, and, but then I start reading somebody else's prayer that Mm. they've put forward very thoughtfully. And it starts drawing me into who God is and how blessed I am and how, how humbling that is. I actually, my spirit gets caught up into that and I'm offering up real genuine Mm. amens (laughs) to God. I find myself stopping during like we, especially like the Book of Common Prayer, the the different offices that you pray through, I'll find myself stopping and adding two things. Yeah. Like you yeah. read something and then you're like, oh, yes, you know. And then it kind of takes you off onto where you are in the midst of that. There's a lot of things out there that I think are great resources. You recommended some books that were really good uh, when you were doing the class on prayer, uh, the spiritual formation class. Some of those um, were I thought were really were really good resources. Can we maybe list a few of those for people? Yeah, well, I mean, you start with the Psalms, but you also have the Valley of Vision, um, which was compiled by Arthur Bennett. It's it's a uh, a collection of Puritan prayers. There's the Book of Common Prayer that you were just mentioning. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian pastor in Manhattan, wrote a book called Prayer. And uh, John MacArthur wrote a book called At the Throne of Grace that includes some, some prayers put in kind of more modern language. All these are good, and there's there's a whole bunch more. You can Google, yeah. you know, prayer supports or helps, and there's a ton of resources uh, that are out there for you. But these things just help because there's not a single one of us that doesn't come to prayer sometimes and need kind of a jump start. Right. Um, and and I think Jesus acknowledges that one of the one of the great things when when he gives us the Lord's prayer, in fact. He doesn't say, hey, just pray this verbatim and just keep going. He gives each and every one of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer as kind of a hook that you're expected to then dwell on and Mm -hmm. add to and to make it your own. Um, And these books, these resources do that same thing. One of the other things that was helpful for me is I remember when I was a, a pretty young Christian, I would always think about God. Like I had that mind that was really curious about scripture and bible and jesus and who he was and so i would be thinking about god all the time and then i would feel guilty like okay i think about god all the time but i rarely think to god right Hmm. and i remember when i first started in seminary they had us read saint augustine's book confessions which is one of the best i mean it's just it's just a masterpiece it's really really wonderful And then as you start reading it, you pick up on the fact that this entire book that is filled with all of these wonderful theological truths and beautiful statements about salvation and everything else, the entire book from start to finish is a prayer. So, I mean, it's, it's talking to God and he's talking through his beliefs. And so that, then it dawned on me like, and as much as we think about God, you know, we're thinking to him. Mm-hmm. And and so just your awareness like we talked about earlier, just your awareness of him makes the intimacy, the prayer with him all the more powerful. There's a guy that lived in the 1600s whose name was Brother Lawrence and he was a monk and he had such a deep union with Christ that people would come from all over just to be with him because he had a glow about him and his mm-hmm. insights on prayer and intimacy with Jesus were, were amazing and he just he had this sense of abiding love for Jesus and people would just come to watch him he was he washed dishes he didn't do anything great this is what he did you know all day he washed dishes in a monastery and when somebody went and visited him they wrote this in in a book a little booklet called the practice of the presence of god and speaking about their encounter with him this is what they said and i think this is helpful They said his prayer was nothing else but a sense of the presence of God, his soul being at that time insensible to everything but divine love, and that, when the appointed times of prayer were passed, he found no difference, because he still continued with God, praising and blessing him with all his might, so that he passed his life in continual joy. And so if we were to discipline our minds as often as we could to just be mindful that at that moment, 
The God of the universe is rejoicing with singing over you, delighting over you. He has your back. He wants he wants to conform you more into his image. He's longing to be with you forever. Like if we walked around really with that belief and and knowing that he's with us, then we have the kind of joy that like Brother Lawrence did. And that's that's every bit and even maybe more so powerful than just up oh, I need to pause for ten minutes and and speak to God. Mm-hmm. It's it's really powerful. And so taking all your thoughts captive and make them all prayers. Just be aware that the Lord is is involved with them. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about answered prayer in the Bible, I think you brought this up during the class time that you're talking about prayer, was the prayer of Peter in prison, uh, which is told in Acts chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter's being kept in prison, and it says, uh, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church gathered, and they all prayed. Um, and then it says that when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping bound up with chains between these two soldiers and that the angel of the Lord stood next to him and light come in the cell and says the angel struck Peter on the side said get up quickly chains fall and out they go you know and uh, you know Peter at this point is like he's trying to figure out if this is is he dreaming you know is he's just having a dream of being freed and it gets to the end of it it says you know they pass the first and the second guard they come to the iron gate leading to the city it opened for them of its own accord you know, like, the, wow. you know, God made the gates open um, and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left. And it said, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So now that he's come to his senses, he realized he was really rescued from prison. This is my favorite part of the story. It says he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And he knocks on the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda comes to answer. She recognizes Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. <laughs> she left him outside. They said, you're out of your mind. He goes, no, 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 he was. They said, this is an angel. And he continued knocking, and then they finally went out and let him in. And I'm thinking, you know, poor Peter standing outside, knocking on the <laughs> gate, going, hey. You know, Sometimes when God answers our prayers, we're like, no, 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 no. We're praying for that right now. Yeah, I know, but Peter's standing outside. No, 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 Peter can't be outside. We're praying for Peter right now. He's in prison. We're praying for him. Don't you understand? We're <laughs> praying for him. And I think that there's a sense in which, you know, my application from this story is sometimes when God answers prayers, we're, you know, whether, like, like here's Peter, the prayer's being answered, he's being freed, and he's questioning, am I dreaming? Because some pretty amazing things are happening. And he comes to the, the house where they're praying, knocking on the door, and they won't stop praying to go see if it's him. No, it's, it's not Peter. We're surprised when God answers. Hmm. We're surprised when God does things, you know? Um, I, I think that there's a sense in which we struggle to pray expectantly, even though, and For that's sure. why when I read this story like that, were they praying expectantly? Um, yeah, probably, but at the same time, they were still surprised when Peter showed up at the game. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think it's interesting to me. One of the most common things that we take a, a group of high school students on a mission trip every summer, mm-hmm. and at least a handful of students, we have them all share at the end of the trip what's something that they learned or something God taught them throughout the week. And there is always a group of students who talk about how they realized the power of prayer which is beautiful and amazing. And I'm always so thankful that God allowed them to experience that and to, to show them that through those trips. But I think I say that a lot too. And it, it's interesting to me that I'm shocked that prayer is powerful. Hmm. Like that I'm almost caught off guard. Like, wow, God moves or, you know, and I do that. I say that all the time. And I think going all the way back to what we talked about earlier, as somebody who thinks like crazy all the time, I think that I am, it, without saying it, what I'm doing when I when I don't pray and when I sit and I, I just use my own energy and mind power as I'm believing the lie that like that is more productive than what God oh, is able yeah. to do and to speak and to to reveal through prayer, and so that's super convicting to me too because I don't think that I pray in a way that shows that I believe it's powerful or that I'm very expectant often. And then you read scripture and it's like, why, why do I doubt that? Like, why, Mm. why am I even struggling to believe that? I remember being at coffee with a woman who was older um, when I was up in college and she was talking to me and I was, I was sharing some stuff with her. And I just remember her simply asking me like, do you believe 
God is able to speak to you through prayer and to lead you where you should go. Mm. And I, I wanted to quickly answer that question and say yes, but it, it was like almost, it really caused me to pause and think, do I like, do I really believe that prayer is powerful? And if I don't, why? Because for me, I'm obviously when, when I, when I forget that, I think I've forgotten something about who God is. Right. When I first came to faith, I came, uh, really just sold out for Jesus and I was in more of a charismatic church and you know I'm now being in Presbyterian church we focus so much on the sovereignty of God which is really beautiful um, that our our default answer when it's time to pray for somebody you know that's in need or for ourselves in a desperate situation we want to say well, you know what? God's sovereign. He knows what's best. Why mm-hmm. ask him? So I'm just going to, you know, my my input is going to be stupid anyway, and he's going to know better, so I'll just I'll just let him have at it. But the Bible comes back to us and, and says things like, you do not have because you do not ask. Right? right? So it's, it's not saying, hey, your prayers just morph into the sovereignty of God and they're meaningless. He's going to do whatever anyway. It's saying you do not have because you do not ask. And as somebody who's thoroughly reformed, right, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, that makes me go, well, now, well, now wait a minute, what do I do with that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you do not have because you do not ask. And I think there is some way in which God honors, even sovereignly so, ordaining maybe that I pray these things that he can then answer them for his own glory and to show his love for me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I used to describe to my students this, you know, well, which is it? Is are you is God responding to your prayer or is God in charge and he's ordained all things to come to pass? Which is it? You know, is it free will kind of thing where God is responding or has he written it from the beginning and nothing you do changes that? And I used to always use the, the Forrest Gump illustration to answer that because that that whole movie is is really fascinating, and it's a story between things that just look like they're random. There, you know, it's it, there's no rhyme or reason. For example, at the beginning of the movie, the feathers just kind of moving haphazardly all over the place, but it always lands exactly where it's supposed to. It mm-hmm. lands right at, right in his book. It lands right where it's supposed to. Um, and so there's it act that movie. Believe it or not, is actually speaking somewhat to prayer. You remember mm-hmm. the scene where Jenny goes to the house where she was abused as a girl Mm -hmm. and she cries out, God, make me into a bird. You know, let me fly far, far away. And at the end of the movie, one of the most touching scenes of the movie, when she has died, Forrest is at her grave site and he's having a conversation about, well, which is it? You know, Lieutenant Dan always said, and he goes on, you know, talking about how Lieutenant Dan was, you know, more of a, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. It's just all chance. And, you know, but mama always said that everything was determined from the beginning and everything had a reason. And he says, maybe it's both. And he mm-hmm. offers that up. And as he's walking, and, and I think that's the reality. Like mm-hmm. we live in this mystery where God has sovereignly in charge of all things ordained that he responds to our prayers. And that kind of makes your head want to explode. But when he walks away from the grave, one of the things that, that happens is the birds from behind the gravesite fly far, far away. Hmm. And so her prayer in that moment is answered. She's been released, you know, and, and death. And I think there's something really beautiful about that perspective, that it's both. You know, that verse that you mentioned, you don't, do not have because you do not ask, that's James 4.2. And the... You know, it's important to also recognize that James 4, 3 is there. It says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you do not have because you do not ask isn't a guarantee that God is going to give you whatever you ask for. Um, what it, to me at least, what it's a cautionary tale about is that making sure that my desires, that I align myself. You know, it's like if, mm-hmm. if I ask God for something and God doesn't do it, then what does that mean? Well, it means I asked. Either, it could mean that God doesn't want to do it. It could mean that I didn't ask for the right thing. You know, I didn't ask properly. But some of that's because how well do I know God? And that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the people uh, that talk about the confidence in prayer, The and I don't want to name particular, you know, but some of the, uh, the more faith-healing Pentecostal dominations get into this thing of 
almost like they can put God in a box. Like I'm guaranteed if I do this, if I behave in this way, if I say these words and I do this thing, God will answer this prayer. And they're looking for the magic talisman that makes God do something. But as we've said many times, Aslan is not a tame lion. You know, you don't, you don't get to put God in a box and, 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 you know, make him do things for you. Mm -hmm. God is, you know, God is God, you know, he's the King of Kings. So we don't, you know, but at the same time, he is pleased to act in response to the prayers of his people. But a part, but our part in that is to get to know him well enough that, that our desires are the same as his desires that, you know, it tells us that in, is it Psalms? Psalm 37 gives you the desires of your heart. Hmm. Um, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right. But what does that mean? In other words, like Tom, you know, Pastor Tom talking about in the sermon one time, he goes, you, you know, what God wants to do is give you the desires in your heart and then give you what you desire. It's like the, it's like the, it's, mm. a, it's the twofold thing. It's like he's going to, God yeah, wants but to you give think you about, desires and then give you what you desire. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, what are going to be the desires of your heart? The things that he has. Yeah. Correct. Right. You're yeah. going to want him to smile. That, yeah. I mean, if you delight in him, your prayer requests are going to be things that he delights in. Right. Mm. You know, God, it might not be good for you to win the lottery. In fact, it's probably not good for you <laughs> to win the lottery. <laughs> I would think you know? not. Yeah. It's like. But, but delight yourself in the Lord, you know, that is a prayer that God is going to to honor and mm-hmm. it might be through things that you don't want in that moment but in the, in the sovereign real you know in the playback of history you see how all those events that god has brought about make you more and more and more like his son which is the goal of this life yeah. it's a good point though this idea that um you know part of this of the process of prayer is is the spiritual discipline of delighting ourselves in the Lord and of aligning ourselves with the Lord and aligning our hearts with his and our desires with his, because then we're going to pray for the things he wants us to pray for so that he then can act. Yeah. Yeah, You know, you, and you notice this in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the Lord's prayer. Mm -hmm. And if you notice the first half of the Lord's prayer, what is it asking you to do? It's, you know, you're saying hallowed be, your name. name. Yeah. May hmm. your kingdom come. May your will be done. And so you're aligning yourself to say, hey, it's about your name, not mine. It's about your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. And what you're doing is you're delighting in the Lord. You want him to be honored and exalted, not yourself. Right? Hmm. You humble yourself before him and you're excited about his mission, not necessarily your own selfish ambition. And that is when you when you align yourself with God, when you when you delight yourself in the Lord, that's when He gives the, you the desires of your heart, because the desires of your heart are His mission. Mm-hmm. And that we'll leave that as our cliffhanger for the Lord's Prayer in the next episode. We do want we do want you to tune back in. Then we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us today on the Out of Water Podcast, and encourage you please to subscribe to the podcast and give it a good rating. The more people that subscribe to the podcast. The more people that give us a good rating, the easier it will be for other people to find it. Um, we have a webpage on our site at reavistachurch.com slash out of water, where I've given you direct links to the uh, Apple Podcast and Google Play Music and Spotify to take you straight to the podcast if you don't want to fiddle around with searching, and you can subscribe through the service of your choice. It's also available there on the website, and it is available also on our smartphone app. And we'll see you next time on Out of Water. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.